Welcome to the 27th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer, Katie, here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now on to the episode with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guest, Moses Utomi. Here today with Moses Utomi, who has done a lot of different things for a little bit of time, but writing is his constant. When he's not indulging his restlessness by traveling about, he's being a martial artist or doing karaoke with or without a backing track, which I kind of, I totally get that. <laughs> you can find me walking the streets of uh, of Harlem here with, with yeah, our dog, crooning. just 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 rapping. That's it. Put my headphones in and just like everyone just thinks I'm fucking insane. <laughs> so do it. Moses and I are uh, old classmates along with our producers. Old chums. Yep. At, at good old Sarah Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Actually, let's start there. Yeah. What, what did you what what did you like or dislike about the MFA program? Because we actually just yeah the episode will have aired by then. We just did an episode and we were talking about auto fiction, oh, and really? so we we talked about uh there were two novels that just came out about MFA programs, and we were kind of just like man really. <laughs> You'd write about anything, but uh, apparently they're pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so what, what did you like pros about cons, Sarah Lawrence? About Sarah Lawrence? About MFA? Yeah, either. Yeah? Either, yeah. I mean... Oh, I'm going to interrupt you right yeah, off yeah, the bat do it. and Go. say... I don't need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Moses brought cupcakes for us. Oh, man. Which makes him the best But he was ever. also late. I didn't have to say that, but I'm okay. No, I, I, honestly, your timing was perfect. I was on a very important phone call. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So Sarah yeah. Lawrence. I mean, I so I approached Sarah Lawrence. My background was in like genre fiction. Like I grew up reading fantasy and science fiction. And I wasn't Ooh. really schooled. And I was a psych major in undergrad. So I wasn't really schooled at all. Whoa. In, like, yeah, literature. Same. Really, really? Yeah, oh, I was I a psych. Ma- I was a finance major, and I switched to psych so I could. Oh shit! Not studied. You're like practice, fuck, practice fuck guitar. Money. Who needs money? My dad's psych than writing. <laughs> yeah, so I was kind of approaching it as like, this is my chance to like. I think I know how to write, but this is my chance to like learn right from from people who know mm-hmm. how to write, and that happens. I, I mean, I was ha- really happy with that. The level of instruction, you know how it is. The instructors are fantastic. Yeah, the faculty there is um, like you have top access notch. to them all the time. Uh, you got to really deep dive into like your own style and so many other styles and mix and match and blend and figure out what you're doing. So I enjoyed a lot of that. I think for me, it was like the the cons, if there was, I mean, I kind of overextended. Like, I think, you know, I was involved in like student government, all random stuff. And then yeah. grad school, you got to work several jobs typically. And like you put on those those lit Cinco de Mayo parties <laughs> where where the where our producers and I met. Really? Was it? Yeah. That's where that. we that's where we. Look at me bringing people together. Fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, so yeah, I didn't have a lot of time for like between that and then having to write. I didn't have a lot of time for social stuff, and which is you know you got to balance things in life. But yeah, that's the only side of it as far. And I wish I had had more. Now Sarah Lawrence, I think has like a genre track, right? I think they do. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm pretty sure they have a speculative fiction yeah. genre now. I don't know if they have anything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all you. Yeah. Need. I think that's all they add. Horror, romance. <laughs> shit. Yeah. So I mean, I wish I'd had that when I was there. That's dope that they have that. And Holland, yeah. there was. I mean, there was a few professors who were pretty familiar with that or uh-huh. open to it. And then my first professor, who will not be named, was not about that life at all. Mm-hmm. At all, I turned in a short story, and he or she, <laughs> they <laughs> wasn't wasn't about it. It was just like, yo, why are there Martians in this shit? She mm-hmm. wasn't having it. He or she wasn't having it. So, yeah. But what was that, it? Science fiction or it was sci-fi. It was a sci-fi yeah. short story. I don't remember what it was about. So yes, yeah, so I'm actually curious. I'll mm-hmm. we'll interject here. Where yeah. do you? Because I actually think it's. If they were going to add a genre, I actually really like that it was speculative fiction. Yeah. Because, I mean, like an MFA program, it, it is kind of like you either go there for literary fiction or nonfiction. Yeah. That's like kind of like the deal, you mm-hmm. know? Or poetry. Or else you kind of like stick out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. But like, do you find yourself like kind of between those lines between sci-fi and speculative? Yeah. I think these last couple of years I've had to like 
kind of refine myself. So, because after going, I mean, at my heart of hearts, I'm a snob. I enjoy being a snob. I like, I like looking down on people. But like, so I think when well, I you finally are tall, got, so. that helps, right? <laughs> when I finally got like properly educated in writing, like my whole life, I was like, I love writing, but I don't know what I'm doing, right? And mm-hmm. I finally got educated. And I was like, yeah, fuck, like speculative, like all that shit is for nerds. Like I'm about that real shit now. And mm-hmm. then, but I, you know, but that's really not what I love. And so I had, I spent like a year or two, like reading a lot of realist or, or, mainstream literary fiction and not just i couldn't it didn't have the same spark and so Mm -hmm. i had to like go back to genre both literary genre and more like just pulp genre kind of stuff i grew up reading that's really just for kids kind of and like who figuring out what i love about it who are those writers literary ones or the more the the ones that you liked as a kid i mean as a kid robert jordan robin hobb george r R. martin who's now famous yeah right, Um, right but like that's yeah that kind of like sword and sorcery kind of fantasy have you ever heard um, of a book called Magician by Raymond E. Feist? Yeah, I was a big fan of Feist. Oh yeah, I read that God. whole series. I've, I think I've brought that up on this podcast before. Really? I was obsessed <laughs> with that book yeah. when I was a kid, yeah. he. I mean, he's one of the, the titans, I feel like. I've, I've been thinking about going back to read that again. It's probably good shit. Still. It was just, it was insane. Yeah. I remember by the end of that book, like... People, like, there were there were armies coming through portals. Yeah. Like it was yeah. it was crazy. It is wild. And it's <laughs> it's crazy. I went to a Marlon James's reading out here recently. He wrote um his new book is out. He doesn't need a plug from me. He's fine. But like, <laughs> um, oh well, our our uh, hundred million fans will <laughs> will hear this. So. We'll give him the <laughs> bump. Uh, he uh, read Leopard. Black Wolf, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, whatever. He has a new book out, and uh, he wrote A Brief History of Seven Killings, won the man Booker. Then he jumped over to fantasy, put out his new book, and it, it's like legit fan. I'm not done with it yet, but it's like, I thought it'd be, he, his first book was really dense, like really dense literary. Mm-hmm. And this next one, I thought it'd be like a dense literary fantasy, but it's not. It's pretty it's pretty straightforward fantasy. It's an African-inspired fantasy. Interesting. His reading, I got to talk to him a bit about like the genre now, what it's like. And he's like, yeah, he grew up the same way at reading fantasy and, and cross genre. And George R. R. Martin's kind of changed the game. Game of Thrones has changed everything, right? Where yeah. it went from like shit for nerds to people understanding that within that costume of princesses and dragons and shit, there's real stories, like serious complex storytelling yeah. going the, on. The same so, human emotion dramas. Yeah, 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 it's all the same. Just different window dressing. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you what do you think? What, what was the moment that you went back and were like, like, kind of went back to your roots and and you were like, yeah, why do, why did I have this stick up my ass? You know, <laughs> I mean, there's obviously authors in between. David Mitchell, I think, is dope, right? And he kind of oh, does whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, we talked about, I think we talked about him back in. Oh Wars. man, he just cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> cupcakes David, Mitchell, David Mitchell, our producer, yeah. has, has the the last line. Of Cloud Atlas on, on her tattooed on her, yeah. your biceps. <laughs> I mean, he's a genius and he doesn't give a fuck about genre lines, right? Yeah. He's like, let yeah. me just write what I need to write. And so for a while I was in that lane. I was like, this is dope. But I was like, I need to get away, you know, move move deeper into literature or whatever. And so I did that. And then I just got overwhelmed. And I read Robin Hobb, who is like in the fantasy world. She's like the OG OG. Like she puts out a bookie. She writes crazy fast and her shit is so quality. And like huh. I, when I went back to it, I went back to it. It's a series called, um, I'm already forget. My brain is trash man i'm getting old from your corporate um, job i know right <laughs> <laughs> it's uh anyway it's it's her main series people who know her will know her but check out robin hobb she uh i went back to read it expecting it to be like like kind of for kids you know i read it as a kid so mm-hmm. in my head that's what it was it was children's, liter- children's literature and once i started reading it i was like this is so well written like it's so sentence by sentence it's so sharp and the emotion is so definitely handled mm-hmm. that i i don't know like i just assumed that because i'd read it as a kid it was childish but it was just up there in terms of like sentence craft up there with any solid mainstream literature and that's when i was like yeah why am i like ignoring all the shit that got me here you know like with the books i love why am i reading books i i can't get through instead of reading stuff i love so yeah yeah that was kind of the turning point yeah huh yeah, so it sounds like you were trying to impress something, something else. Besides, I don't know uh, who, yeah. yeah. Who's impressed by me reading? <laughs> we're all literate. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. So, yeah, where are you now? Yeah, so now, I mean, I've managed to blend the two, and I've found authors who I think sit in the space I want to sit in, right? Like, um, Ted Chiang, he's written everything. He's kind of, he's the master, really. He's fantastic. He wrote, you know, Arrival, the movie? Uh, oh, um, yeah. Amy Adams. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. He wrote the story, short story that's based on. Ooh. And it's, yeah, that was a good movie. It's The short story's movie. even better. It's wild. Wow. It's so, but like... Well, is it called Arrival? It's called uh, The Story of Your Life. Yeah. 
Ooh, and it's it's kind of like science fiction fantasy canon. It's just a masterwork. And seeing authors like that reminded me that I was like, yeah, I didn't have to leave this right to to pursue something worthwhile. So I'm kind of in between now. I think my short stories are are, are a little. I mean, so the other side of it is commercial demands, right? Like what sells? Because I I had to. I'm Nigerian, and so we're not allowed to be broke. That's not, that's not how <laughs> it works. So, like, I do have to be aware of, like, what, what I can sell. And so, first, I started off writing literary fantasy that I thought was, like, dope and pushing envelopes and things. Uh-huh. And then I realized that nobody wants to read that shit. So, I had to, like, tone it down why, a bit. Why not, though? Because that's kind of what George R. R. Martin does. Yeah. But he, like, because I kind of see him, the way he reached everyone was mm. because... It was like a lot of people think it's like oh like he's just got he's got tits and cuss words yeah but that's that's that. not it it's like he's actually he's he's in inside everyone's bedroom mm-hmm. you know and that's mm-hmm. like really all that matters yeah I mean I was doing like MFA experimental stuff so and it's not that there's no market for that but I think it's that all these lines are arbitrary but I think when I think literature is mo- more open to formal experimentation and genre typically when something feels new and fresh in genre it's it's often a conceit or an approach yeah. or a, or a, a yeah. you know a subversion of tropes or something like that so mm-hmm. I was I was doing way too much but I've gotten now to a place where I'm I'm comfortable in a narrative voice that is plot driven with a couple formal quirks here and there when I feel like I can get away with it, but that's not, you know, the engine of it. And yeah. Then, and then some characters that, you know, also meaningful, substantial, rounded characters. Did that happen? Did that happen at Sarah Lawrence? Or has this hap- that happened like after? Because I remember yeah. the, this must have been a year or two ago. Yeah. We had dinner once and you said you were working on a couple novels. I don't know. You always see, yeah, <laughs> always. you always seem to be working on like a bunch of shit at once, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kind of like the opposite of me. Like, you know, yeah. in between oh, yeah. drafts of my book, I, 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 there's just a bunch of abandoned manuscripts, you really? know? Yeah. It's like, I, you'll never go back to them. They're just not. No, oh, no, wow. I'll, I'll okay. never go back. But yeah. So, so this happened at like, th- this happened after Sarah Lawrence. So was there any influence from any of the faculty there going, Hey, you, maybe you should be going back to this genre stuff. Or did you come to that by yourself? David Ryan, like the ghost of David, he's alive. Sorry, I didn't want to scare him. David Ryan's fine. But like (laughs) some stuff we talked about in class became more relevant as I was going through this process. He's a pretty open-minded dude too. And he's he's cool with whatever. And so he was my thesis advisor. And so when we're working on that, you know, I was kind of constrained by what the thesis was. But some of the stuff we discussed during that process came back to my mind when I was going through my own process and it kind of helped me in, inform and moving back to what I love. So. Oh yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah, and did you, did you have David Hollander? Yeah. I had him twice. I think. You had him twice. Did I? Maybe I had David Ryan. Yo, grad school was a thousand years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember who had what. The reason I ask is because his novel that we're publishing. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has a lot of those like mm-hmm. I wouldn't even, I would I would say it goes past speculative you know mm-hmm. it's like there's sci-fi but it it is literary at its heart yeah. you know yeah but I just find I do find it interesting that the MFA program really is like this high-minded institution you know yeah. what I mean and I think there does need to be I mean you look you look at people that are self-publishing on Amazon and stuff yeah it's almost always genre mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and yeah okay so us we want to we want to publish literary stuff yeah but at the same time like it is kind of disconcerting when people go to these programs and they get persuaded to do something that makes them feel like they sh- they should fit in or something like that even though the faculty is amazing and like yeah. you know but there is there's a lot of talk about this craft there's a lot of talk about truth and yeah, beauty yeah. and language and Memory all this and stuff that personally i care about of course but you know if if i didn't then i'd have a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. But yeah, so what are you tangibly working on tangibly. now? And like and and yeah. kind of like what are your like tangible pursuits and where are mm-hmm. you with all that stuff? So I'm trying to there is an entire robust and beautiful short fiction market for speculative fiction. It's one of the big differences, one of the biggest differences I think between the speculative fiction marketplace and the literary one is that you can I probably can't make a living depending on what part of the world you're in, but you can do really well just selling short stories. There's a lot of pro markets and people read them, which is, I think, <laughs> a big difference. To who? The world. There's the big ones are like Clark's World, Fireside Fiction, which shout out to them for publishing my short. Nice. Clark's World is a major one. Lightspeed, Strange Horizons. There's so many. Afaya, Afaya, it's um, speculative fiction from for diasporic voices, African-American, okay, cool. um, African-Caribbean. 
they're doing great work. There's so many of them that are killing it and they pay really well. They pay professional rates. Because more people are reading um, it. Because people read it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Is like, and that's that's the difference with a lot of you know mainstream literary journals that they make a lot of their money from submission fees, right? Like mm-hmm. paying to submit. It's like a Ponzi scheme. It is, because nobody's reading it. Like yeah. if you had people like if you had a something people wanted, you could sell it, but it's it's a different world. There's so there's a lot more of it too. Whereas, you know, speculative fiction, it's more it's a smaller community. So so I've been cranking out short stories a few will probably be polished the next couple months and i'll be sending those out and then i'm working on a novel of course yeah is it the same one we were talking about back in the day no No. yeah this is a because you were getting some interest from from agents you you decided to yeah so that first novel that was before i'd gone through my whatever process and um it was sitting more on the side of literary than i was comfortable with so it was getting more attention from literary agents than speculative fiction agents Interesting. And so I had to do. Oh, that's like yeah. Searching. I remember having that conversation yeah. with you. Yeah, it's coming back to me now. I kind of had to figure out like, well, is that what I want to be? Is that the space I'm more comfortable in? And so that's that's why I was like, let me put this on hold and, and see what I can put out. That takes um, a lot of. That takes a lot of guts, man. Or stupidity. <laughs> if I if I, <laughs> if we'll I had see. an agent knocking on my door, I'd be like, <laughs> what? I don't care. I don't care what the fuck I am. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think I think we just you convinced us. I think we just pivoted away, and now we're a we're a fantasy press because <laughs> we're gonna make a billion dollars. <laughs> That's where the money's at. Yeah. So if it happened after grad school, mm-hmm. did going to China have anything to do with it? Is that is that by chance where you kind of came to terms with yourself? A little bit. It was honestly more coming back. It was more okay. coming back. Yeah. There's something about like I'd lived in Asia before, so I'd lived in Thailand when I was a baby. When I was like twenty something years decades centuries ago but um mm-hmm. yeah and so in a weird way asia was very comfortable for me and so i actually felt free to do whatever it's when i came back that i felt i got like like a more practical kind of lens and not not practical in like a limiting like <laughs> disappointing way practical but in yeah like, right. a, like in terms of a career right like what would a writing career look like and where do i want to enter from and who do I want my peers to be and all those things. Whereas in China, I was just like, it's the world is, you know, it's my backyard. I can do whatever I want. And I did. I had a lot of, I got so much creativity out there, but it wasn't focused. It was kind of all over the place. Was there a literary scene out there? There was, I'm sure. I mean, you mean English literary scene or, or Mandarin? Well, obviously there's a Mandarin one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, I, I guess the question, the better question would be, was it visible? Like, were, yeah. were you, I mean, can, can you, can you read? Mandarin? Yeah. Mm, not really not well yeah so uh, so it was hard to it was hard to kind of yeah i'm probably better reading it now too i practice more now than i did when i was there so uh-huh. i mean yeah there's literally chinese literature is totally fine they're doing great english so i was in um i was in a town i was they call it a like a, it's a they have their cities in tiers so there's tier one tier two tier three etc down to like tier six or seven that's fucked up yeah <laughs> 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 shit on all the low tier cities so like tier one's like Beijing, Shanghai, right? Mm-hmm. I was in a tier three city. So like, okay. it's not, like, not <laughs> well, I mean, to Chinese people, they're like, what are you doing out? Why are you out there? Like, that's like Kentucky for them. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, what are you doing out in, you know, Topeka? But it's like, it's a 7 million person city. But I think the difference no is to that Kentucky. like, yeah, no, fuck Kentucky. <laughs> offense, offense meant, just kidding. I don't know anything about the state. Yeah. So I, there, there was a literary scene in the tier one cities, right? I mean, that's the, it's a city like New York, right? You got yeah. everything. But I think when you get down to tier three, I'm sure there's a literary scene, but it's quite a bit smaller. And it's, yeah, yeah, I don't know if there's an English literary scene necessarily. I mean, that that perfectly mirrors here, too. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. We we did like a rabbits on the road sort of thing. Oh, nice. We went to a few cities, especially uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. Really? And yeah, it does. It gets tough. The smaller it gets, the tougher Mm -hmm. it gets. The more more distanced you feel from the resources, Mm. like you know to attain the goals you really yeah. want to attain yeah it seems so possible here in new york yeah it seems so like yeah you could write a book and get published and do whatever but yeah yeah, yeah. when you're out in a place that doesn't have that support it's got to feel different even though it's not nearly that, <laughs> that easy <laughs> that's, that's really <laughs> yeah so i am really interested in this in in this mm. like <clears throat> this link between finding your voice you know as it were and yeah and your experience traveling especially in china just yeah. because i'm, I'm kind of interested were you writing a lot there a because i know you were what was it kickboxing you were like <laughs> you were like an amateur kickboxer there <laughs> yeah were yeah. you getting paid for that yeah i forget if you said you were i was which doesn't make any sense because i'm not good like it's crazy i mean there's there's so much there's so many people out there and there's so much money out there that you get paid 
for things that you probably wouldn't get paid for in the states. Interesting, right? Like I think my so I was on despite I, the pop like despite how many people are there. Yeah, huh. it's why I mean also I'm a Westerner. I don't want to pretend that doesn't come with privilege, right? Like yeah, there's right, plenty right. of people growing up in China who are struggling and will be struggling for a while, and yeah, I just yeah. waltz in and I guess certain privileges. But there's just a lot of people. Like I I fought my first fight. It was like a really amateur, like really really amateur fight. And um, it's like there's like a video. Like a pig on was like, the referee or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was well done. That's the thing. Everyone, everything out there is so well produced and well polished. Like uh-huh. you go to like children's talent shows, and the stage is like gorgeous. It's like ten foot high, like lights and fireworks. It's ridiculous. Uh-huh. And so the fight was really well produced, but like it's a bunch of amateurs. And it, the video of it, it's like a six hour video on this like off YouTube offshoot, some Chinese version of that. And it got like ten million views in a week. Like. They, like, so you're, they just, like, you're like Chinese famous? That's the thing. I'm not because everything gets 10 million views. There's a billion people. Like, right? There's yeah, two, almost yeah. 2 billion people. Everything gets 10 million there's views. Like a, there's like a multiplier rule on There really YouTube. is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I see. So, That's so yeah, they can afford to pay you, right? Because sponsors are you're being seen for, yeah. So, yeah, it's wild. So, yeah. So, so were you writing when you were doing all this stuff? I had a really good setup out there. So I, I worked about 25 hours a week. And then. Yes, yeah, so that's pretty good. Yeah, super sweet. So yeah. I had plenty of time to write. Yeah. And I would write first thing when I woke up and then I would write after work often because I'd work during the week weekdays I worked like four hours three hours a day and so I'd go to work at five ish and I'd be done by like eight or eight thirty and so I go to a cafe right after work right till like 11 head home and, and hit the hay and then I'd, I don't start the next day until 5 p.m. again so I can chill whatever yeah so is, I got a ton of writing yeah. so I, I wrote I finished the manuscript I, I finished two drafts of it i think no so when i went there i finished i finished the manuscript when i got there then i started a new book while i was there and finished that too mm-hmm. I, I had quite a bit of time so yeah it wasn't bad that's crazy 25 hours a week plus it didn't writing, make any getting, sense getting to kickbox yeah why'd you come life. back i have no idea man <laughs> <laughs> no my um i mean i had a novel and i was like all right i'm gonna bring it back no you got you got the shit it. kicked out of you, didn't you? <laughs> i got knocked out <laughs> fled, so i wouldn't get jumped <laughs> embarrassed you can't set foot there any, ever again right, i'm bad <laughs> Yeah, me, my brother, he um, was pursuing the acting. He's an actor, so he was pursuing Broadway. So I was like, well, I want to publish a book. He's like, I want to get on Broadway. So he came out here. Yeah, that's right. I remember now. You guys were living together when yeah. you first... Are, is that still going on? No, nah, he's killing it. He's in Hamilton. He's on Broadway. <laughs> You're <laughs> shitting me. No, he's on tour right now. He's in Baltimore. Oh, my yeah. God. He, um, that's amazing. He's a genius. He booked it super fast. So Wow. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we, yeah. I, I feel like I, I kind of took us off course. So like, mm. yeah, where, where are you? Like, what, what, yeah, what are yeah. you working on? And like, you know, what, so right what's your, now, what's your goal? I'm working on. So this it was you know, again because I was thinking about like what do I actually know and love, and I was like I love my culture. I'm Nigerian, so I love my culture, my background. I love my family. I love. Are you first generation? I am. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I love combat sports. I like fighting. So that's what I'm writing. So it's it's a, it's an African based or African and South Asian inspired fantasy interesting fusion yeah and yeah. it's basically like the tournament arc in anime it's a bunch of characters who train and they're fighting and kind of the fate of their they live in these little families and the fate of their family is on the line in this tournament so Ooh, that's like that's like uh it's like mortal Kombat meets hunger games kind of shit Yo, right i'll there. let you pitch it i've been struggling that was way better than the stuff i've come <laughs> Damn, up with i just got yeah. the comp titles <laughs> Yeah, so that's crazy. Uh, it's a lot so it, of fun. Yeah, is that is that the main thing you're focusing? Yeah, focusing that's where a lot right of my now? focus is. So I've divided my writing between space. So like I'm on the when I'm on the train, I write short stories just because my voice feels different in in motion. Yeah, you you kind of you mirror the the sort of allotment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's then cool. when I'm at home or on the weekends, I find a place to sit and I write the novel. So yeah, it sound you sound you sound similar to me in the sense of the time you put into it, mm-hmm. but. I'm curious, I think every writer is curious about this, about how they approach the craft. Yeah. Is this one of those things where you premeditate when you're going to write and how you're going to write, or or is it one of those things, for me, it's more like, I feel like I don't have to worry about it because it, it just happens. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I don't know. You I, have to. I, I, maybe it's that. I was just, I was actually just talking about this yesterday. I, like, the question of, like, why do you write? Yeah. It's almost self, it, it's, it's a self serving it i don't it answers itself yeah, yeah. <laughs> is what i'm trying to say yeah the, the writer is, gro- is groping for words um <laughs> no i mean like seriously I, I i couldn't tell you why because it feels so axiomatic to me mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know do you do you have a schedule you know I tried. Routine? so i i think i just habituate pretty quick so like there's a there was a while where i was writing like as soon as i got home from work i'd write 
that yeah. was like my routine and I'd write for an hour even from this job yeah now. yeah even from it was because I'm imagining yeah. you come back in China coming back with that oh, no. your robe still open <laughs> gashes across your chest <laughs> cracking your glasses <laughs> <laughs> time to write uh. <laughs> leg kind of hurts your feet are in like an ice, no, an ice yeah. bath or something that wasn't happening actually that I do find that really actually when I was I was training out here when I first got back because I had more time and I was still hopped up on testosterone and yeah like, yeah I've, it's it's actually the perfect time for me to write is after like training hard my body's just exhausted no, my I can mind's imagine. like let's do it let's get to work and you kind of cut um, through the bullshit right yeah yeah, yeah, cause yeah. you don't have time your body's like look do this shit and get to sleep like, yeah we're, we're tired so so i've tried a different routines for a while i was writing right after training for a while i was writing right after work but i find that like after like 10 days something about that routine gets weird and old and i just can't get back in the groove and so i gotta switch it up and so mm-hmm. sometimes i set routines if i feel like i, I need to you know, hit a milestone. Like I need to get this, this chapter done or this arc done or this act or whatever. But most of the time, like I can't go, I'll always write. It's kind of like what you said. Like I'll, yeah, I'll write. I'm just going to, I can't go two days, three days without writing. Right. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. That, and I can relate to that too. And I think where a lot of writers go astray mm. is when they set up a routine and then they beat themselves up when they don't stick to it. Yeah. You know, and I feel like a routine's almost, it's like a paradox. It's almost like a routine is great up to the point where it's flexible, you know? Yeah. And once the once you hit that point where it's not flexible and it's rigid, you can see it on the page. Mm-hmm. It, your mm-hmm. shit just becomes boring. Exactly. Because it's tedious. You're, you're just going, at, you're forcing yourself to go at it. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the answer to the other side because, like, I do feel like it's hard for me to relate to those writers who f- say like, I really want to write, but that writing sucks and it's so boring. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't yeah. really understand it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I get that in the sense that for me, writing often does suck, but I, I don't know. It like, gets to the point where it has to, if you yeah. want to, if you want to get published, yeah, it does. Exactly. especially when you're like, when you're to the point where you're not creating so much mm-hmm. as refining or, or editing. Yes. That's yeah. where you. That, that's where it, beca- it turns from a vocation into a, a profession. It's work. You know, it's yeah. work, and it's not great work. Yeah. It's easier work, it's much better paid, easier work. Um, but yeah, I find that for like, if I when I do use a routine, I find that it's useful for first drafts when I need to crank out the ideas. Yep. Right. That mm-hmm. I mean, just get the messiness on paper. I do find routines very useful for that. But then after that, yeah, it's a lot of it is, you know, writing away from the from the desk, away from the computer, right? It's walking around and having the characters kind of solidify in my mind and having motivations make more sense and, and living in the world a little longer before I actually sit down and, and refine it. But the refining is the, it's not the fun part. Always. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It almost I mean, me. you worked on your novel for a year. How long? Six years. Fuck. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there were gaps, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that's when I started writing those other manuscripts that I ultimately just abandoned, yeah. you know? But one other question I have for you is, mm. You know, I don't. I don't want to say that I think people should avoid kind of that. You know, you said you felt like you were kind of going away from your roots a little bit when you got into the MFA program. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily see that as an inherently bad thing. No. Every, everyone's got to find something their own way. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, efficiency is cool. Everyone likes. You know, <laughs> if you can be more efficient, that's great, right? Mm-hmm. What would you advise? people that are trying to get into MFA programs, which can be haughty and, you know, lofty and, you know, all those, all those words that we know kind of associate (laughs) with that institution, you know, like, but they want, they actually want to write their shit. That's not literary. You know, I Mm -hmm. mean, like as, as a literary press, I think the, one of the most important things we can do is advocate for any other sort of press. I mean, like if, like you just said, there's probably more people reading fantasy and science fiction than literary fiction. I think we all know that, you know. Yeah. I don't know, is there So I don't I don't want to say like is there anything you would have done differently? But like is there something maybe you can like a, like a token of wisdom you yeah, can kind of yeah, provide yeah. people that want to write mystery or, you know, crime th- thrillers or sci-fi or, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if I would do anything differently. I mean, other than the financial burden of an Sarah MFA Lawrence, program, yeah. right? Like yeah. if if you can get a vested MFA program, it's a great time like to spend two to more years of your life doing nothing but writing and Mm -hmm. thinking about writing and learning from other writers for genre specifically speculative there's a lot of great workshops and residencies type things you can do right clarion is the big one and there's others my brain isn't thinking of but you can go away for a week or two weeks and spend time with 
some of your favorite published writers who really have careers and they'll give you wisdom. There's, I'm in right now a science fiction fantasy mentorship program where you get a, they pair you up with an established writer and you get a. You know, so you're a mentee. Yeah, yeah. I don't oh, know okay, shit. Cool. I can't mentor anybody. <laughs> like so, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling very mentored right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be looked down upon and mentored. <laughs> so I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for genre writers, I think yeah, there's. There's a lot of other channels other than MFAs. I know there's more and more MFAs now that are offering some sort of speculative track. Obviously, I haven't been through one, so I don't know if that has more. Would or you less have value. chosen that one if you if yeah, you'd gone? Yeah, yeah I, I would assume so. Right. I actually think it's really important. And uh, God, this is like there's like a, a running theme of like a few things we always bring up on this podcast. <laughs> one of them is the Sergio de la Pava and Susanna de la Pava crime family. <laughs> they're they're it's very specific they're like they're like our first literary family oh. <laughs> we love them to death i also always bring up this book called sapiens yeah you will know yeah yeah that book. you've heard you've read it i'm working on an essay right now that involves some of the oh. ideas from that book yeah, yeah oh my I god it. i fucking love it <laughs> i love it dude if you want eyes on it before you yeah, start sending I'll, it out please send sure. it to me i will like i want to read it now <laughs> <laughs> no the, he's like my main man and no i mean like i really agree with him when he says the most important art form right now today is speculative fiction just because yeah we are at this like we're at this turning point where like algorithms are like taking over our lives, yeah. you know? And yeah. if we don't understand that and we don't understand what that's, what they're capable of, mm -hmm. then we're in deep shit, you know? hundred percent agreed. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad you're writing about that. I'm, that's I'm, awesome. I love that book. I got to read it again. Mm -hmm. I read it twice. Yeah. So I guess before, before we get a little reading from you yeah. um, and our hundred million <laughs> listeners get to hear the brilliance of Moses Satomi. Hold on to your seats. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really curious in because you have you have this like corporate day job, right? Yeah, yeah. And like for me, mm -hmm. I mean, I do in a way too, but it's different because I, it, it is different working from home. Yeah. Because I, I get to set my own schedule. I it's easier to get shit done, honestly, mm. when you don't have people badgering you and like you know around the office and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm more interested in is also just like. You say you come home and you write. Is I mean, is the job soul sucking at all? How do you deal with that? Because I, no, I mean, I, I think a yeah, shit ton a of other question. writers want to know the same thing. They get they want to write and they try. There's one of two options: you get up before work and write. Yeah. And I would say like probably eighty percent of the world is like, go fuck yourself. Nah, it's not happening. Yeah, I'll yeah. shoot that rooster in the face. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, our producers. <laughs> our producers are like. Yeah, I said eighty percent of the world. So there's 20% so, of people. Yeah, the 20, you, you represent the 20%. You're the, the, mono, the minority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but then like, you know, but then, so then that leaves you with the option, unless you only want to write on the weekends, you know, yeah. it leaves you with after work. And honestly, for me, it's just like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> when I'm done, when I'm done working, I'm like, yeah, yeah. this is tough. I mean, I think it depends on the job for sure. I write a lot at my job, but it's it's nonfiction writing, right? So uh, my fiction brain feels untapped. And in a way, it, it almost like, it's like poking the bear kind of, right? Uh -huh. Where it's like, I'm sitting there writing true th things to, about real people. And, you know, my brain is like, yo, but what if Martin Luther King, you know, <laughs> right? Like, just, I want to change shit up. And so when I go home, I'm like, what yo, I can write that. What if his dream actually fully right? came true? Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he did have racial equality. Yeah. Like? So, like, in a way, it fuels me. And, it, and it, I mean, it's good because I'm refining my actual writing, right? Yeah. Writing is writing. At the same time, though, I'm not using that part of my brain that, that needs to create original things or, or whatever, or the stories that I, I really want to tell. And so, I'm, I don't know. It depends on the person, too. You know, I... I've always, I come from a big ass, I have seven people in my family. So I always had to write as a, like after leaving something, like moving away, moving into my own space to write. And uh, so it feels very natural for me to have my time and energy consumed in one place. And then I have to kind of squirrel away uh -huh. time to write. So do you also get kind of a surge of energy when you get, when, when you're alone? Just cause like, you're yeah, like, ah, like it's kind of like a, like relieving yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's really, as soon as I sit on the train, like I, on the way to work, I read, and but as soon as on the way back home, as soon as I sit down, I have all these things that need to get out of my fingers, and I like it. That time between, it's like a forty-minute train ride, and it passes in like five minutes. Like I'm just cranking out words, and uh, then then I'm home. Shit, um, I really need siblings, man. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. Uh, yeah, bad for you. No, I, I I probably take my alone time for granted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's 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 do a reading. Read? Oh, yeah, okay. Let's do a reading. I'm gonna read a. This is what I had 
publishing Fireside Fiction. They are a fantastic publisher based here in New York. They pay their writers really well. That's one of their values. One of their missions is to pay writers what they deserve. And they put out these gorgeous collections with great artwork. And they're big on their they really value representation and putting out voices that haven't mm-hmm. been heard. So I like to give them a shout out when I can. And they published me, which was ill-advised, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Is it both print and, and online? Yeah, print and online. So it's online. Go to firesidefiction.com. And they have a ton of stuff, a ton of content for free online, but also support them. You can find the links online. I'm trying to find Oh, shop. Go to the shop, subscribe, and they can, they'll be hooking you up with regular fantastic content. Very cool. So this is a short story called The Story of a Young Woman. It's a fantasy little snippet as we discuss the genre. And here we go. Am I good to start? Do I need to mic check? Go for it. Yeah. (laughs) Turn my headphones up. More snare. (laughs) (laughs) There's a story we first began to tell long ago, before the time of your great mamas and their great mamas before them, before the queens of the kudu, before the ascendrants. A story of gain and sacrifice, a story of words that give life and whispers that kill, a story that will hollow out your heart and fill it tear your spirit at the seams and mend it whole. The only story you'll ever need to hear. Gather around, for this is a story of unlikely beginnings, about a babe born of the Osangpo, Obaz of Talking Mountain, and smallest tribe of the Adovi. She was born stuttering in a barren diamond quarry, feeble as failing light, but with eyes like smoldering coals. She was fated to die that same night. Yet she disobeyed death, and grew, and grew, and grew. This is a story of fear. Even as a child, she knew that she wasn't like the other Osangpo. She was dragon-marked, claimed by the gods of fire in a tribe sworn to the gods of the earth. There was fire in her belly, and flames leapt from her mouth when she laughed. Love came only from her father. He protected her from the barbed tongues of her schoolmates, from the men who hurled stones and the women sly with poisons. When she cried, he held her, and when she stuttered, he was patient. And when he fell ill and died in her fifteenth year, she was alone with just a belly full of flame. Gather round, for this is a story of power. She learned that she was not cursed, but in fact blessed, and she embraced her blessing. The fire in her belly straightened her spine, gleamed behind her eyes. It lined her tongue, scorched the stutter from her lips, kissed her words, and carried them like smoke to fill whoever she spoke to. As she grew, her words earned her reverence. On the day of her womanhood, the Osangpo who had so hated her chose her to be speaker of Talking Mountain, where she would speak for all tongues lost. This is a story of love. The young woman's love for her people, her love for her ancestors, her love for a young man who could be any shape and yet always chose to be kind. He would walk a dozen miles each morning to sit with her at the foot of Talking Mountain, and he would change into anything he could to make her laugh, and her laughter would warm him the way two cold hands can warm each other. This is a story of betrayal. The young woman's mother remembered the young woman as just a stuttering babe, a powerless thing. The mother could not speak as powerfully as the young woman, but she could whisper. When the couple was wed, the mother went to her new daughter and whispered cold into her mouth. It slid down the young woman's throat, past her chest, into her belly, where it turned the fire to stone. With the fire gone, the villagers, like wild animals, attacked. They had never loved her, only feared what she was capable of. The Osangpo beat her, and the young man alike tore their skin, pounded their bones, destroyed their home, and set fire to their corn. Sit and be merry as I tell you a story of hopelessness. The young woman and her husband fled the village. He took the shape of a large ram with the legs of a zebra, and he sat and she sat atop him as they crossed the land in search of somewhere better. Sand blinded them, storms befell them. Jackals gnashed their heels, and her prayers to her gods of fire went unanswered. One day, the young man's legs buckled and he collapsed. He was exhausted and sick from drinking unclean water. The young woman carried him for ten days before he died in his sleep with his head against her belly, shivering. Close your lips and open your hearts for this story of a young woman who traveled the known world in search of her place and a stone in her belly that was not a stone, for cold can never fully extinguish a flame, but was instead a seed. This young woman with unquenchable life within her who, after months of being cracked and dry, finally crawled into the unfamiliar land of the Vespami, governors of the endless lake, most powerful of the western houses. How could she know the Vespami worshipped the gods of water? and were sworn to slay all those dragon-marked. How could she know how much her dignity would be diminished, how fiercely they would hunt her? How could she know that her greatest pains were yet to come? Thus begins the only story you'll ever need to hear. 
Listen now as I tell you this saga of triumph, this most ancient and perfect of tales. She lived. That's it. Ooh, that was dark as fuck for a second. <laughs> I tried, yeah. It no, you know, you know, it's funny. The first thing I thought when you started reading was like you didn't scrub the literary off of you totally. You know, yeah. like the language is still really just like it's really eloquent. Thanks. Really eloquent. Yeah. Women sly with poison. I love that phrase. Thank That's you. great. That was. That was um, you. Yeah. No, I, I I can't wait to read that again. I, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm mm-hmm. a very I'm a much more visual yeah, reader, yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's. That was great. Thanks, man. Thanks for letting me read it. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, of course. When did you get that published? A while ago. That was um, 2018. Last, almost this time last year, I think. Last summer. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And you got paid for it. It's ridiculous. Beautiful. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it. I guess uh, it's it's official. We're going. We're going sci-fi now. <laughs> Alexa just chimed. Yo, you should Alexa do a podcast just, with just Alexa. Alexa just chimed in and said, "I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think y'all can pull that off." <laughs> Alexa's got opinions. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So your manuscript. Yeah. You're drafting. Mm-hmm. So I finished okay. the first draft in February, and this second draft is killing me. The first draft took me like three months. Like I cranked it out less, two months. I sped through it and it just all worked. Of course it didn't. Yeah. But yeah, so now I'm really going in and putting it together. So when you when you draft, are you the kind of person that kind of prints it out, looks at what's going on and just rewrites it on the side, or do you kind of like work from within? It depends on how close it is. If I feel like it's a bit of a mess, I'll just rewrite it. Yeah. Um, but if I feel like there's some things keepable, I'll print it out and read it and go line by line before I Start to rewrite, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. What about you? Are you the same? I am a fucking mess. (laughs) Well, your book is huge, too. You don't want to spend $1,000 on printing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, my my first draft I totally chucked. Oh, oh, oh. Our our producers are handing over an arc, a galley, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, it's up to our (laughs) producers. If you you review it. I got you. Oh, man. Wow. (laughs) How did it end up? How many pages are we at? 390? Yeah, is was, it? Something like that? Yeah. Stuff get cut? I feel like it was like, I feel like when he talks about it, it was like, it was, it was pretty long. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, at one point, like, it was over 200,000 words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm the kind That's of, per- I'm the kind of writer that, yeah, I mean, like, when I was younger, I vomited a lot and mm. then I would clean it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which sounds like more literal than it actually is, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, now now I mean I feel like as you as you grow, you can recognize more quickly what's shit and what's not. Yeah, and then it becomes more of a problem of like finishing sentences than than chucking a bunch of shitty ones onto mm-hmm. a page, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I kind of do want to before before we sign off, I kind of yeah. want to hear a little bit more about your experience in China because we didn't really for sure get into that too much. Yeah, like why why did you go over there in the first place, and like how the fuck did you end up kickboxing? <laughs> <laughs> so that. It, it's quite a story how I ended up there in kickboxing. So um, I'd gone to Thailand before I went to the MFA program. And so yeah. I loved it, obviously. Then I was like, let me pursue writing. And so after that, I was like, all right, well, I could either be broke here or I could be broke somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking around. I was going to go to Brazil. I just couldn't find like a decent job that I also felt was safe uh-huh. you know I don't want to give my mom a heart attack any more than I do so right I just saw a job in China and the, the, li- the timing lined up and I was like all right let's do it so I just went and it's I mean that country is amazing it's like it just feels very big it feels huge there's so many people and there's so much happening and there's so many different kinds of things happening it just it feels like a pinball machine and I enjoyed it I mean when I first got there I was it was awful, actually. It was horrible. Yeah, I, I really regretted it. <laughs> it was the worst decision I'd made. I was super intimidated. I didn't leave my hotel room for like the first three days because I was just oh, scared. Shit. I was like, I don't speak the language and they don't think it's cute at all. Like nobody's yeah. amused by my foreignness. Yeah. Thailand, they're like, oh, like it's an America. He doesn't get it. They don't expect you to speak Thai. It's a small country. They uh-huh, get it. Uh-huh. China, they're like, yo, get your shit together. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like we, we represent like one seventh yeah, of the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 2017. Fucking learn Mandarin. So uh-huh. yeah, I was intimidated at first. And, and people there, um, especially... 
uh, it's a bit dog eat dog. I, you know, you learn a lot. I feel like in school you learn that China's collectivist. That's like the first thing they teach you, right? They're yeah. Like, everyone yeah. cares for everybody. It's family. It's, uh-huh. it's not like that. <laughs> no, it's very dog eat dog, and everyone everyone's really mean to each other. Uh huh. And I thought it was I've just me. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was me. I was like, fuck you guys. Like you guys are yeah. so mean. I'm a guest. <laughs> but like, when I you know the longer I lived there and I made friends and I realized like like. First of all, they're not mean in the way I thought they were. Yeah. And also, it's not me. They're, this is just, it's a different it's way everyone. of communicating. It's, it's a everyone. different way of advancing your is it, is it the, and, is it more blunt? Is that what it is? Like, what, like how did it come off as mean? What was underneath? <laughs> what was under? What was the truth underneath? The yeah. Meanness, you know? I mean, I'm on this fine line of like, I don't want to, I don't, I need, I don't want to exoticize and I don't want to like diminish what it is you know i i, I want to portray it as it is and i don't pretend to have a full understanding i'm not the scholar in china right but sure. part of it was meanness to be real like it's in the same way that new york is more mean than like you know oklahoma maybe yeah, right yeah, like in the midwest or part of it yeah, it's big yeah. there's a lot of fucking people there's a lot of shit to do uh-huh. you gotta you gotta go get, for get what the you fuck want. out of my way yeah. yeah and part of it was things that i the different sense of what's rude or inappropriate yeah right like people stare there it's just they, they'll stare at you Old dudes will stare. I almost got in so many fights with old dudes. My first, I was yelling at old dudes, <laughs> a fucking psycho in the middle of the street, uh, challenging them to duels and shit. And, uh, yeah, they'll just. That's just how it is. And so when I was there as a foreigner, initially I was like, "Is it because I'm black? Is it because I'm?" I, had a, I was dating a girl out there. Is it because they don't like you know me dating like for like an me, interracial it, thing? Yeah, I was like, like it, yeah. it was always threatening. Mm-hmm. I was always like, "Fuck, this could pop off." Like I don't know what this staring mm-hmm. means. And eventually I was like, "Oh, they just stare." Like. It's not me. They just, they just they stare. stare at interesting. They just things. stare at people. Yeah, yeah. like oh, that's cool. I want to look at it. I don't, I'm gonna look at it. And interesting so, things like that. I had to get used to that. There was some people that were just dicks. I mean, <laughs> the cleaning lady in my building, she uh, like somebody dropped a bottle, a glass bottle, somewhere in the hallway, and I woke up at like six a.m. because I heard glass like by my door, and I went outside, and she was just sweeping it all right in front of my door. Oh my! God. And I looked at her and I was like, like are you why? For real? I said it in Chinese. I was like, why? And she's like, it's yours. And I was like, the glass, like, I was so, I was still drowsy. I was like, the glass is mine? Like, what are you saying? She's like, it's your glass. And I was like, lady, (laughs) no, this isn't okay. You can't just do this to people. (laughs) And she got mad, like took it away and walked off. Yeah. There's people that were just, were not nice, but there's a, there's a shit ton of people. I mean, it's New York. There's a lot of mean people in New York too. So that was, I think once I figured out I'll be okay, it was a lot nicer. And I got in with a good group and I, I'm, I've always done martial arts on and off. So there was a gym, a Muay Thai gym right by my place. And one of my friends was going there. So I went. And so that's where I started training. And it was good. It was good. I was just kind of doing it for exercise. And then one day the coach came in. He's like, hey, do you want to fight? And I was like, no. <laughs> and one of the other dudes I was training with, he's, he was a younger guy. And he's cocking. He's like, yeah, he's British. He's like, I'll fucking fight. I don't give a shit. I'll fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> And so I was like, well, if he's this idiot's doing it, yeah, I'll be all right. And so um, we started training for the fight. And then I fought. Was it with each other or, or um, other yeah. opponents? We had a full gym. So there was a few other people training. Okay, yeah, it was me, yeah. him, and maybe three three other people. So yeah, we just trained. It was like a six-week training camp. It was great. I was training like five, six days a week, real hard. And then um, I fought and I won my first fight. And so they said, if you win, you might fight again, which is a pretty weird thing to say yeah. <laughs> without giving like specifics. Yeah. So uh, they're like, yeah, you got to fight. After I won, they're like, all right, you'll fight again next week. And I was like, okay, cool. We should have let me know a month ago. But that's fine. So <laughs> then I fought again the next week at like super early. It was like 11 o'clock. The last one had been like 7 or 8 p.m. Uh-huh. And so I fought at like 11 and I was like, that's crazy. Like it's just in and out like that. It's dope. And they're like, oh, you'll have another fight. Like after my fight, they're like you have another fight. I was like, okay, when? They're like, give it a couple hours. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and so I had to fight again. And I hadn't eaten breakfast that day because like I didn't know what the schedule would be. Like nobody told me anything. And so I had to fight again. Is it like is it like knockouts or are they? Any- it was a tournament. There's nobody it- fucking knew the word for tournament. They just <laughs> asked me if I wanted to fight. <laughs> and I was like, do I have a choice? Like, do I have? What is going on? And by the third fight that day, I realized, like, oh, this is a tournament. Like, there's brackets. <laughs> just no, I guess nobody, I don't know if they organized or whatever. <laughs> nobody told me. And so I just thought, like, each time I fought, I was like, oh, finally, I can rest. I can eat. And then they'd be like, oh, fight again. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was a fucking tournament. <laughs> did you get paid for that one? I did, yeah. So, and did you know did, did you know you were going to no, get paid? No, I didn't know anything. They just, I, didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know literally nothing they told me the little things they told me were all incorrect and they didn't tell me most of it it was i didn't know anything i didn't know who i was fighting i didn't know the rules i thought in traditional muay thai you're allowed to knee there's a whole clinch factor to it i thought i was 
they said you're only allowed to knee once and then you break the clinch. It's called, it's a different rule set. There's yeah, a lot of yeah. different kickboxing rule sets. And so the first fight, I like kneed once and I pulled off and the guy kneed me back twice. And I was like, is this, why is this not? And they're like, no, you can knee as much as you want. And I was like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> so, like changing the rules as you just, go. Yeah, it was super, It's it was also like, <laughs> it was held in this like venue where it's a bunch of like, I'm not going to say they're Chinese mobsters because they could be anything. Yeah. But it was, that's what it looked like. Yeah, there was probably yeah. crazy betting going yeah, on. Yeah, just like betting and chain yeah. smoking and girls and like, yeah, 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 um, yeah. yeah. It wasn't the kind of place you protest if you don't like what's going on. <laughs> do what you got to do. You might get a contract out on you. <laughs> yeah, so they, my gym, my old coach, the old gym uh, owner hit me up a couple of months ago. I was like, hey, Moses, where are you at? And I was like, I'm an American dog. Like, I'm not even in your country. He's like, oh, like the guy you beat, the gym owner, the guy you beat wants you to fight. Like they want you to fight. And I was like, well, I'm, I've been gone for a year, so that's not going to happen. And then one of my other boys, my training partners, he messaged me. He's like, dude, don't. Don't do it. Like they've hired some like professional killer to mess you up and restore Chinese honor. Oh um, my god! Yeah, they don't play around. Yeah, I mean it's it's always been a thing in combat sports where it's like you don't go to a foreign country and walk out with the belt. Like you're they're gonna like you beat their son unless, like, unless you're gonna Stephon bring Marbury. their big brother right. <laughs> unless you're Marbury, then you get the keys to Beijing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I get it. It's fight culture. That's how it is. But uh, damn. Yeah, but that's wild. not the reason you went. You went just to go. No, I, I wanted to train kung fu. I was doing kung fu. You did. Yeah, okay. So I was okay. Wing Chun, okay. And like I just wanted to experience the culture and eat food and see what it was like and, and stuff. But that was a cool opportunity to like get deep into things. So so when was when like what, what when was the time to leave? Um, when they put the hit out on you. <laughs> no, no, I just I just wanted to be home for family and stuff. Like my brother was doing yeah. his thing and he had a show that I wanted to see. So I want to come back and see that. And like the air, I think, might have been getting to me too. The air wasn't great over there. So, yeah, right, 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 right. Um, like for health reasons and family, I was like, let me just go back and see yeah, what I can do with this book. Up. Yeah, Yep. Damn, that is crazy. It's a wild time, man. <laughs> do you have any lasting injuries? Or is it, or, um, or you, do you come out all right? No. I did okay. Your 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 typing fingers are all yeah, right. Yeah, I did all right. <laughs> I know. Like, like, what do I really pinky? need? <laughs> like fuck, I can't can't get that A. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't take too much damage, and it was I mean as as weird and shady as it looked. They you know nobody's getting. They weren't letting people get murdered. Like it wasn't blood sport. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Thing. So yeah, I did all right. Damn. Yeah. That is nuts. Yeah, man. Is there anything you wanna you wanna like plug or something like another story coming out or? or? Say, what's up, agents? Check out, <laughs> check out my manuscript. Yeah, yeah. If there's any Simon and Schuster, what's good? <laughs> I mean, yeah, agents, hit me up. <laughs> I'm always down to work with you guys. Um, nothing to plug. Or, or you can say, or else I'm going to come kickbox the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kick your door down and go to work. I mean, I'm hoping to have some projects done soon, so those will yeah. see. We'll see what goes on there cool but cool plug, but yeah. definitely yeah send me that send me that essay or or if or if you just send it out let me know no yeah i'll send it to you, you. i, I can't use eyes on I'm, sure. i am obsessed with you all man that dude is he's a smart guy he's on another level makes yeah. a lot of sense okay that's it for today's episode if you like what you heard please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening you can get in touch with us on twitter facebook and instagram at animal riot press or through our website animalriotpress.com this has been the 27th episode of the Animal Riot podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Moses Utomi. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Belly.